0: is an Odyssey original.
1: This is KDX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer.
2: I'm Charles Feldman. Devastation in Maui, we go in-depth into how those wind-whipped fires may have forever changed the popular Hawaiian island.
1: A new script in Hollywood. We take a look at how much longer the strikes may go on.
2: But we start with the fires in Hawaii, where the number of people killed now stands at at least 36 Governor Newsom, by the way, is sending some help from California. He's sending 11 members of California's Urban Search and Rescue Task Forces to aid in the recovery operations and the search for survivors. We are joined again, as we were yesterday, by Joshua Dorkin. We uh, talked with him, as I said yesterday. He had evacuated his house, then he went back at night, and we're going to get an update from him. Uh, Joining Joshua for the first segment is going to be Maui real estate agent Joyce Mitchell Minor. She has co-workers whose homes were destroyed and even has a client who lost a home after just closing on it. Thank you both for being with us. Thanks.
3: Aloha.
2: Aloha. Thank you. Uh, Joshua, let's start with you uh, and and pick up where we left off with you yesterday. You uh, had evacuated with your family, your home. You then went back, but I understand you were sort of on standby again last night?
4: Yeah, so what a lot of people don't understand is there's been multiple fires throughout uh, Maui. Obviously, what uh, everybody is seeing is this uh, terrible, terrible disaster in Lahaina, um, but... Uh, there have been major fires across other areas of Maui as well. Um, there were, I, I believe, four major burn areas um, that have been happening. So, uh, yeah, we uh, we had another one in, in our area of Kihei, North Kihei, yesterday. Uh, the smoke is really, really thick in South uh, Kihei where we were, and the fires looked like they were heading in our direction. And, uh, you know, having one of my daughters with asthma, And having three little girls who, you know, were pretty terrified from the night before, uh, we chose to get out. And and, uh, so we headed uh, towards uh, the area of Paia and uh, spent the night there.
1: Uh, Joyce, tell us a little bit about this client of yours who had just closed on a home. And now that home is gone, what kind of home are we talking about here? What kind of damage?
3: Um. It's just devastating. I just found out yesterday that that whole neighborhood is gone. The entire neighborhood is no longer. And I actually spoke to two of the neighbors because at one point they were interested in purchasing the house, as I also represented the seller, which it was their family home for over 50 years. And the magnitude, I I am unable to reach my clients on the buy side. The electricity is out in Lahaina. The cell tower, I believe, might be down. I'm not confirmed on that. Um, it's very sketchy. Um, if there was any internet, that there's no outlets to be able to recharge with. Um, I, my understanding is that the county is bringing in supplies today. Um, but back to the house, it 2.2 million dollar home. That they were going to start, you know, they had been looking for two years, uh, lived on Maui for many years, and this was going to be the home that they raised their two children in. Uh, Joshua, a you swimming meant. Pole,
2: yeah, uh, swimming pool, yeah. Let me. Okay, let, let me. We'll go back to you in a second. Joshua, let me go back to you. You mentioned uh, going to another part of uh, the island last night. How easy is it to get around if you have to? Get around, And the second part of my question is you you, uh, mentioned yesterday, you complained actually yesterday about what you felt was a lack of communication on the island in terms of, I guess, officials telling people what to do, where to go, what the current situation uh, happened to have been. Has that changed for the better, for the worse, the same?
4: So in in terms of getting around, I would say uh, as long as you're outside of the Lahaina area, which is all of West Maui. Um, you know, it's, it's not just the city of Lahaina. There's, there's other cities um, out and about there. Um, uh, movement's fine. Uh, well, let's say, you know, there's, there's spot, there were spot fires yesterday. I believe there's, in fact, there's still, my friend is, uh, up in the, the town of Kula. He said, there's a, a fire about a half mile from his house right now. So there's still fires burning around the Island. Obviously you're, you're going to want to avoid those, but beyond that, uh, transportation seems to be uh, pretty smooth, but uh, they are not letting folks uh, go past Maalaya Harbor, uh, heading towards Lahaina uh, from the rest of Maui right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's still a recovery effort up there. Um, in terms of communication, it's, it's trying, right? Look, we're in the midst of a disaster. Um, and so uh, communication in disaster is difficult to start with. Uh, but the fact is just um, uh, Maui doesn't have a great uh, uh, media center here. Uh, you know, the, the rely, we rely on um, a platform called Maui Now. It's MauiNow.com. Um, I'd say it's the best source of local news here. Uh, beyond that, there's a, a Facebook group called Maui 24-7, and that's, it's, it's just folks kind of reporting where they are, what's going on. Um, and, in fact, the, the crazy thing is, you know, information is really – accurate information is, is hard to get. You know, we had heard that, um, you know, a hardware store up-country burned down. Turns out that wasn't true. We heard um, a lodge up-country burned down. Turns out that wasn't true. So getting accurate information is really hard when I believe there's only one satellite truck on the entire island. So, um That that's the kind of stuff that we're dealing with, and and um, as um, as Joyce had said, there's um, there's uh, power outages Mm -hmm. across Lahaina. There's power outages upcountry. Um, There's no water. There's no power. So it's um, it's really challenging. All right,
1: Joshua Dorkin, uh, there in Maui, also with us, uh, Joyce Mitchell uh, Minor,
2: But also now joining us is. Chip Fletcher, who is the interim dean of the School of Ocean and Earth Science and Technology at the University of Hawaii. Chip, let me start this segment with you. I know it's very difficult to to pin any one specific event on climate change, but that said... This is a unique event for Maui, uh, the combination of the high winds from the passing hurricane, the dry weather that you've uh, had for a bit of time. Is there any uh, conclusive evidence that this is related in some way, shape or form to climate change?
5: Well, that's a great question. Um, Climate change uh, in the case of the wildfires we've been seeing in Maui and the incredible devastation to Lahaina Town, sets a background condition. We had a relatively dry winter, uh, which was supposed to be our wet season. Uh, The summer months, which are the dry season, typically have become much drier over time. Um, We have spreading drought. Um, This tends to dry the soil, it dries the air. And we also have a change in rainfall patterns across Hawaii, where when it does rain, Uh, It tends not to last multiple days, but instead it'll be much more rapid. We'll get a lot of water that falls to the ground in a short period of time and then runs off into the ocean. And um, we also have spreading drought in between rainfall patterns. So uh, warming air, dry soils, uh, dry, hot winds. um, And then there's the possibility of climate change influencing Hurricane Dora. Uh, so is Dora uh, more intense? Are the winds at a higher speed? Is Dora larger uh, than it would be without climate change? These are all legitimate questions. And we see trends around the world where hurricanes are larger, they intensify stronger, um, their wind speeds are higher. Um, so so it's quite possible that climate change sets some background conditions. Uh, in in what we're seeing on Maui.
1: Uh, Joyce, you are a real estate agent uh, there. What can you tell us about yeah. the situation with uh, homeowners insurance, fire insurance, et cetera? Because here in California, as we dealt with wildfires, we've seen issues with some insurance companies not wanting to cover homes in certain areas, some insurance companies pulling out of the state entirely. Uh, what issues do you have with uh, insurance, and what do you think insurance might cover there on Maui?
3: Well, that's a good question, and one that will probably be answered very quickly. Um, this is the first time in my life, and I've been born and raised in the islands for you know many decades, that we've ever had a fire of this magnitude. Um, I think this is the first time, as far as fire coming down silver, you know, fiercely uh, through Lahaina, where people were running into the ocean for safety. It was just devastating. Um, what State Farm or uh, GEICO, what they're all going to do, I don't know. I do know where the challenges are. Previously, anything within uh, you know, flood zones, many of my clients would have to go to uh, London, you know, Lloyd's of London Insurance Company at $50,000 a year uh, for flood insurance. Now, this is the other side of the spectrum. That is to be seen. Um, Gary Keller, our founding CEO for Keller Williams International, has communicated with us directly that he is willing to support unlimited uh, support for Maui County. Um, if it's generators, he'll fly in whatever we need financially. So we're we're amassing uh, many different areas of support from throughout the United States and probably the world. Um, how that will help us to rebuild Lahaina is to be seen. It's going to be, um, in my opinion, opinion, at least a few years with the infrastructure um, plans and approach, but immediately we need water, food, and shelter for the people that are homeless now and stuck there with no electricity and supplies.
2: Joshua, let me uh, sort of play off of what uh, Joyce was just saying about the things that are needed. Uh, We're getting a lot of requests, as uh, often happens, when there's a disaster anywhere, really, uh, the people want to know what help they can give. I think yesterday you said that you guys could use a, a super scooper, but the average person is not in a position to send one. What do you think people should send, if anything, in terms of, of helping the folks on Maui? Uh,
4: that's a great question. Um, I, I would say, you know, uh, we, we had friends who were over at one of the shelters last night and currently – Uh, There's lots of supplies that typically happens with a disaster, right? Everybody gives and donates right away. But this is going to be a a, a long-term problem. Uh, Thousands of people, we we don't know yet, but likely thousands of people um, have lost their homes. So we're going to need some kind of temporary housing for these folks or they're going to have to leave the island. There's just no other way to think about it. So we need tents, prefab homes, uh, some kind of pop-up shelters, temporary housing, uh, that's that's obviously uh, going to have to come in from outside of Maui. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Joyce had, had mentioned some other um, things, obviously food, um, we're going to need money, but I, I actually spoke to our, our local uh, council member and put together a list of uh, foundations um, and organizations that are safe, because as always, whenever disasters happen, there's Um, potential scams out there. So, um, you know, if, if it was all right with you guys, I'd love to mention those. Uh, Go ahead. Okay. Fabulous. Well, uh, the Maui United way, that's MauiUnitedWay.org. The Maui Food Bank, that's MauiFoodBank.org. They've got a list of donations they're looking for on site. The Maui Humane Society, uh, they're looking for pet food, crates, bowls, and other supplies. Uh, they're overwhelmed right now with lots of displaced pets. Uh, the Red Cross of Hawaii is looking for hundreds of volunteers right now. Uh, go to redcross.org local slash uh, for the Red Cross of Hawaii. And then there's a local organization that was established uh, back in 1916. It's called the Hawaii Community Foundation, uh, the Maui Strong Fund. And that's hawaiicommunityfoundation.org. Uh, It's local-based. It's a nonprofit that's provided community service for 99 years and oversees charitable giving across the state. Uh, Well, um, and their purpose is to maximize the impact Mm -hmm. of donations and support uh, large-scale initiatives.
1: Thank you, uh, Joshua Dorkin, uh, back with us again today, Uh, home uh, evacuated his home there in Maui. Joyce Mitchell Minor, real estate agent in Maui, and also Chip Fletcher, uh, Dean of the School of Ocean and Earth Science at the University of Hawaii. Uh, Right now, though, the Writers Guild set to start a new negotiating session tomorrow with Hollywood Studios Entertainment Attorney Jonathan Handel uh, back with us on the show. Thank you so much.
6: It's a pleasure being back with you. Thank you.
1: It's a pleasure having you here. So tell us, uh, news, of course, is is welcome that they're going to sit down and talk again. But uh, is it realistic to expect something to break through, something to happen, to get somewhere, or should we not get our hopes up?
6: well i think we should sort of stay calm breathe slowly and 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 not get our hopes up but not dash cold water on it either um uh, you know it is a positive that the uh, parties are back talking um last week last friday was uh, sort of uh, had uh, rocky preconditions uh, uh carol lombardini president of the amptp uh reportedly did not want to reach out to the writers guild meanwhile the writers Uh, put out a the guild put out a message the day before saying don't get your hopes up it'll probably be the same tired old anti-labor playbook so you know it, it was like spreading ground glass on the sheets uh let's hope that this will will go a little bit better but you know we have to remember the the writers guild this is this is the first dual strike in 63 years as as many of our listeners know at this point i think uh not since 1960 but you had both unions out and that means that both the Writers Guild and the Screen Actors Guild (SAG-AFTRA) are at the height of their power, and that means that they've got to they they got to be and are going to be very cautious about compromise because you can't sort of compromise, you know, say, well, we'll compromise a little more than we in our better judgment than we think we should, because we can always go on strike again in three years. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. I mean, I, I'm not I can't give you a guarantee that there won't be a strike in th- another strike in three years, but no one can count on that as a matter of, you know, leverage and power. So the Guild is uh, standing very firm on the issues of concern to it, uh, you know, including, among other things, staffing for for writers rooms, so-called mini rooms, staffing levels and staffing duration uh, and that and A.I., uh, seem to be particularly and, and success-based residuals for streaming in other words residuals and that would pay more for a successful show than a than a flop uh, those seem to be issues that the companies have not moved particularly on
2: but we'll have to see Jonathan yesterday uh mayor bass uh, told KNX uh that she was playing some sort of uh uh You know, role. She didn't really describe what that role was behind the scenes and and felt very strongly, she said, that this wouldn't go on for another hundred days, uh, marking the 100th day of the Writers Guild strike. Uh, Do you think that the fact that the Writers Guild is going to be meeting with producers tomorrow, do you think she may have played some role in that? And do you concur in her view that this is not likely to go on nearly as long as it is it has already uh, gone on for?
6: Well, it's hard to know whether she whether she's played a role uh, that, that had that much of an effect or or not. It's very difficult for politicians or, frankly, even even agents and entertainment transactional lawyers, lawyers who are not who don't specialize in understanding the ins and outs of these guild agreements and the ins and outs of the politics of uh within the guilds and between the guilds and the companies it's very difficult for for those folks to um to to have a very you know direct effect on on things and politicians are uh in a particularly fraught position because they don't want to end up owning uh the industry's troubles uh and in addition Liberal Democratic uh, politicians like uh, the mayor, like the governor, uh, like the president, uh, rely on both company executives and wealthy members of the talent community uh, for contributions. Los Angeles has long been a source of uh, of significant money for Democratic for national Democratic politicians, Senators, presidents, and and of course California governors and and LA mayors. So it's a it's a difficult dance. By the same token, it's very hard for a mayor to to sit there and be seen to be doing nothing while one of the major industries in in her city, uh, you know, bleeds out, as it were. So because it, it is an industry
1: town, when you get right down
6: to it, it is an industry. Yeah. I mean, it's an industry town for those of us who are in the industry. Um, I mean, realistically, there are you know this is this is a city of many millions of people, um, many of whom are not in this industry, but uh you know the la economic base is uh entertainment and entertainment related uh uh-huh. occupations and businesses right. are are a very important part of it yeah. and they punch above their weight they are yeah. more visible all right than uh, well,
1: we, unfortunately we have to leave it there thank you so much uh, entertainment attorney Jonathan Handel has got more knowledge than uh all uh two of us combined several times over charles uh, uh, when it comes to entertainment here in la
2: You're listening to KNX In-Depth, along with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. We're continuing our discussion
1: about uh, tomorrow's restart of negotiations between Hollywood Studios and the writers on
2: strike. So with us now is Writers Guild member Jamie Paglia. He uh, created the sci-fi channel hit Eureka, and his credits also include The Flash and MTV's Scream, and he is picketing right now outside the Sony Studios in Culver City. Jamie, thanks for being uh, back with us.
7: Hey, thanks for having me back.
2: So uh, is there any sort of sense of uh, optimism now that the uh, Guild is, the Writers Guild, is uh, planning to meet tomorrow with the producers?
7: Uh, I think cautious optimism. Yeah. Um, you know, we wanted uh, to get back to them to come back to the game for over 100 days now, this is day 101. Um, and we hope that they are going to bring reasonable counters to our, our last offers to them.
1: And are you prepared uh, if there is some more compromise that actually comes out of this? So maybe you get a little bit less than than you were hoping for. Uh, where do you think your line
7: is? I mean, I can I'm not a part of the negotiating committee, so I can only really speak for myself and the people that I have met on the line. And I, I think that there is, uh, you know, obviously everybody expects you're not going to get everything that you want in a negotiation. But I think that there are a lot of very reasonable things we have asked for, especially when you consider just how much profit the AAPTP uh, has been making and how that's been growing over the last decade while our earnings have been slowly shrinking by an average of 23%. Um, so, you know, we're, we're going to hold out for a reasonable deal. And the enthusiasm and commitment by everybody on the, on the picket lines has not flagged in any way.
2: Jamie, uh, let's say there is a, a uh, an agreement reached, if not tomorrow, uh, maybe in the near future, um, that puts the uh, the folks at SAG-AFTRA in a bit of a bind, doesn't it? Because there was some, and there is actually some animosity between SAG-AFTRA and the Director's Guild, at least some members of SAG-AFTRA aimed at the Director's Guild because they early on did settle. If the Writers Guild manages uh, to settle with the producers, that does kind of leave SAG-AFTRA twisting in the wind a bit, doesn't it?
7: I think that the, the main thing is is that we are all supporting each other and in, in this and the and the solidarity especially between our two guilds on the line has been really incredible, especially in comparison to the, the strike in 708. Um I think there are certain issues that we share that we, you know and especially when it comes to AI, attention and health, certain minimums being raised that I think that we want to make sure that we are out for you know certain terms that are going to be more aligned with theirs um some of our issues are uh, somewhat different um but i can say that i know that they're supporting us and getting a fair deal for what makes sense for our guild. Our and we are supporting them and getting what they need. And we'll be on the picket lines with them, too, because it's right. a big part of this until they get a fair deal.
1: All right. Writers Guild member uh, Jamie uh, Paglia uh, might know his, some of his credits created uh, Eureka. Show on Sci-Fi Channel also wrote for The Flash and MTV's Scream.
2: Uh, by the way, we did uh, reach out to the Alliance as Motion Picture and Television Producers, but was told by a spokesperson that the group is not commenting right now uh, on the restart of talks tomorrow. You know, when you're looking uh, to date someone nowadays, you can, of course, use an app. It can help filter exactly what you're looking for in terms of age, height, career, uh, hobbies, uh, sandwiches in case you get hungry. Yeah,
1: but what about music? Is somebody's musical taste important to you? Well, for a lot of people, it is. And now there's a new app to specifically match you based on the music you like. Rachel von nortwick is CEO of the Vinally dating app. And that's a great name. Rachel, thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So, you know, when I think of music, I know that the that, that music has been an extremely important part of my life as, as long as I can remember. But I have never in my life worried about musical taste so much in my dating. I just would use that as a way of getting to know someone, sharing my musical taste with somebody else and being able to grow from that. But that's not what people want anymore right that they want to they want to already get someone who's already on their page with music how how many people feel that way
0: yeah so you know for folks out there who are music fans you're absolutely right we're sort of prioritizing that nowadays and so especially for young people um you know the statistics are are pretty high um that music is sort of the main way um, that young people, um, you know, connect and and keep their mental health uh, going. And so it's super, super important um, in terms of the way that our app works. um, You're able to actually um, view someone's playlist completely, um, you know, look at their profile, their first concert, last concert, their music preferences, all before pressing play, which is what we call, uh, you know, our, our method instead of swiping.
2: So does it turn out that people make better matches when their musical interests align? Or is that old adage about opposites attract? You know, does that ring more true?
0: Yeah, so probably somewhere in the middle because our algorithm is sophisticated enough to understand Common influences between music so beyond just you know matching someone because they like the same songs or the same artists or even the same genre we also uh, account for the fact that you know there are some adjacent genres or you know other artists that might also um be compatible you know in terms of their uh, fan base with with another uh person on the app so it's a little bit uh, you know, more sophisticated there. And plus, you know, we also ask questions about the role music plays in your life because that's an important part of music compatibility. So, you know, is music your favorite interest or an interest? Do you like to go to concerts or do you prefer to listen at home? All of those uh, we take into account before we produce matches.
1: I'm glad you brought up adjacent musical taste because I could imagine, like, say, if I was a young person again, which is, God, I don't remember when that was. uh, (laughs) If I was on a dating app uh, using that based on music, if someone I was interested in liked rock, that'd be great. If they also like pop, well, okay. If they like uh, jazz, hey, that's great. If they like country, well, I'll give it a shot. But if they like polka, I would draw the line there and say, no, if someone (laughs) likes polka, we have nothing in common. Do you find that on your app as people use it? Do they have the one genre of music that is their red line and they won't cross it?
0: You know, we do have a conversation starter that is, you know, what is your music deal breaker? Um, you know, as sort of a, just a fun way, I think, to, to get at what people do like and dislike. Um, I think what's interesting, um, is that when you, if you go the route where you sync your Spotify to vinylate, we, you can also, um, Create a profile without doing that. You actually reveal to yourself the subgenres you listen to. So you may not even be aware that some of the artists you're listening to are, are you know, maybe it's it's uh, Australian rock or you know, um, grunge punk rock. And so there are all these other genres that you may be listening to that you you don't uh, you know know about. Um, but I think th- at the heart of it, everybody that's on Violet is a music fan, and Nowadays, when you go to music festivals, um, there's lots of different artists that you're exposed to. Or even when you are listening to Spotify or a playlist, right, um, there is sort of that predictive feature and you're, you're exposed to a lot of different artists. So nowadays, most people's tastes are pretty eclectic.
2: Rachel, how many people so far are using the app and what kind of feedback are you getting?
0: Yeah. So we actually published sort of our year over year stats um, on Twitter or, or X, I guess. Um, yeah. And so um, we had over the past year, I think we had like 100,000 profile views, um, 30,000 matches and, and a bunch of really other sort of interesting stats that are way up from the previous year. And um, I, I think, you know, generally speaking, people uh, are attracted to, to vinyl because it's a you know sort of a really positive user experience and the emphasis is not on superficiality it's really on identity and lifestyle we just sort of make it easy to to start up those types of conversations
1: you know, I, I was a little bit skeptical of this at, at first, cause while music is important, you know, I would never use that, I would think, as a basis on which to date someone. But now that I think about it, Charles, I'm thinking of uh, a former wife of mine who Uh-oh. never liked my music. Yeah. N- n- just did not like any it, of the music that I liked, and we're not together anymore.
2: Because who likes, who likes nouveau uh, Swedish folk music? Well, no, I, <laughs>
1: Stop it. Uh, but my current wife, I uh, dragged her, not kicking and screaming, but a little hesitantly to a King Crimson show. King Crimson, oh, yeah. not, you know, not a wide appeal kind of a thing. It's a very eclectic kind of music. Also took it to a Stephen Wilson show. She loved him. And now she's interested in the music I like, and we're still together. So maybe there's something to that, right, Rachel? Yeah,
0: well, interestingly enough, King Crimson, you know, over the pandemic became actually. Much more popular because of these songs that they would do, and they would perform live on social media. So I actually, their audience base has has grown. Um, I think that you know, and I kind of touched on it earlier that it's it's one thing you know if if you disagree on music taste, but I actually think a, a maybe more of a bigger wedge would be um, sort of the openness to experience music, which is why we also ask those questions. So in other words, you know, do you have A partner who's willing to let you DJ in the car? Mm. Do you have a partner that's willing to go see, you know, music, even if it's not their favorite and stay all the way to the last song, even if it means you'll hit traffic. So those types of things are super important too. Um, and I, in my past have also experienced people who weren't compatible in that way, even though we did actually overlap on, on music quite a bit.
1: All right, Rachel Von Norwick, CEO of the Vinally Dating App People Want to Use Music as a Means by Which to Judge Who They Want to Date.
2: So, you think that music helped with your second
1: marriage? You know, it must have. I mean, among other things, I think that uh, she, my current wife is still with me. Uh, so, sometimes I wonder if maybe she needs some mental help. You know, it's just uh,
2: things you think about. You have a lot maybe stashed
1: away in the bank or? Well, that I would never tell. <laughs> Secret to my success. Uh, that's it for KDX in Depth today. Charles and I, who share uh, musical tastes, we like Swedish uh, rock and roll folk music.
2: Of oh, course, it's, it's great. It's yeah, uh,
1: One of our favorite uh, that <laughs> nobody else likes, and that's why we uh, we work well together. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back with more KDX in Depth tomorrow at 1 p.m.